Then in that case, they can give a monetary compensation of one sadhqatul fitr amount per day. What about the salat? The salat as well, we are supposed to make qada. And you cannot resort to monetary compensation unless a person dies and now he cannot make it up. When it comes to hajj, somebody can do a hajjul badal on behalf of you. But it comes to salah, there is no salatul badal. Because there is no niyaba, which means to have a substitute in physical ibadah as there is niyaba in financial ibadah. So if you have zakat, like a woman has zakat, do on her because she has gold and jewelry and silver. And if the husband takes permission from her and says that, is it okay if I discharge the zakat on your behalf? And she says yes. So he can discharge the zakat on behalf of his wife. From his earning, he is giving money that was due on her. So this is called niyaba. It's permissible in ibadah badaniya, in physical, no, in ibadah maliya, in financial ibadah, substitution. You can do it on behalf of someone. And likewise, the Nabi mentioned when a lady came and said, Ya Rasulullah, my father is so old, he does not have the ability to sit on a camel because he, the amount of strength required to just remain sitting and not falling down, he doesn't even have that much. Shaykhun Fanin, 90 year old. If you put him up, he'll fall down. So, can I make hajj on his behalf? Nabi said, You can make hajj on his behalf. That's your hajjul badal. But if it's a physical ibadah like Som and Salah, you cannot say, Okay, fast on my behalf. I'm tired. Or go pray your fajr and then pray my fajr as well. I'll sleep through it. So, there is no substitution in ibadah. Badaniya. So ibadah badaniya also, what happens is that there would be one sadqatul fitr per every salah. When will you go towards that? After death. Because as long as you're alive, you have to give the actual salah qada back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when the physical qada is, becomes impossible upon death, then you would resort to the fidya. So all of these fidyas and sadaqat, this is up to one third. And then after that one third, then the remaining shares as mentioned in the ayat here. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about um, Allah ta'ala forgives the sins of those who do uh, transgressions in jahala while forgetting about Allah. Then they, make re- then they repent as soon as they remember. These are the people whom Allah will forgive. وَلَيْسَتِ التَّوْبَةُ لِلَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ سَيِّئَاتِ Tawbah is not for those who continue to do sins حَتَّى إِذَا حَضَرَ أَحَدَهُ الْمَوْتِ Then when death comes upon him. So when he sees the angel of death, now he says, إِنِّي تُبْتُ الْآنِ Now I make tawbah. So when a person sees the angel of death, then the tawbah is not accepted. This is mentioned in Surah An-Nisa, like the famous story of Fir'aun. That we mentioned many times. Firaun, how he accepted Islam when he was dying. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further on uh, speaks about misappropriation of each other's wealth. Do, do, not eat, do not eat each other's wealth. Meaning do not consume each other's wealth. In, in any form of unlawful transaction unless there is mutual agreement on the terms and you have a valid sale or transaction so this is uh, any form of taking somebody's wealth by trickery, by treachery, by defrauding is absolutely haram this is the same ayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions at the end of the passage 
where uh, Allah Ta'ala is speaking about fasting in Surah Al-Baqarah. The very famous passage that we hear about all the time in the month of Ramadan. When Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, Shahr Ramadan, Alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. The scholars mention a very important point there that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala talks about fadail of fasting, the masail of fasting. And at the end he says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ when he says do not consume each other's wealth in a haram manner why is he talking about that here it's because at the end of your fast when you make dua at iftar time your duas are accepted unless you are consuming haram so if you are earning haram money and you buy the most halal food 100% zabia but through haram income or through halal income you buy haram food both scenarios what is being consumed is haram then what will happen? The entire fast is void and the dua is rejected. So a person, he abstained from, fasting, uh, from food and drink all day, he was fasting, but he makes iftar on haram food. So that is the link between this ayah, why it is placed here at this, uh, at this juncture in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about reconciliation in the Quran between spouses and the relationship between the husband and wife. وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ شِقَاقَ بَيْنِهِمَا فَبْعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهَا إِنْ يُرِيدَ إِصْلَاحًا يُوَفِّقِ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا خَبِيرًا So the deen of Islam is very practical, very realistic. Um, in the different religions of the past, the original Jewish religion, it was very easy, not a, not a problem whatsoever to get divorced. In the original, not in the current form, the original Christian religion, it was impossible to get divorced. There was no concept of divorce. If someone's married, that's it. They must remain together, no matter what. The Islamic perspective is that, of course, it's a no-brainer that the family unit is uh, the basic uh, unit of human civilization, and the stronger the family is, the stronger human society will be, and the next generation, the children will have caring parents, etc., etc. So it's ideal that it should be maintained. However, there are certain scenarios where it may just not work out, because they are very different temperaments. They may not be able to uh, see eye to eye or they, one has wronged the other partner in such a manner the other partner cannot uh, get over it. So there are certain scenarios where it is in the best interest for them to amicably separate without continuing to do further dhulm on each other. So that is a very balanced approach of our deen. An example is like going under the knife for surgery. If there is some pain you have in your back, Okay, you can stretch it, you can do some therapy, you can do physical therapy, etc. Go to the chiropractor, go for massage. You don't want to go and start operating on your spine. Uh, and, you know, your spinal cord is there and you could, if there's a mistake, what could happen? And general anesthesia itself is, uh, there's risk involved, etc. But worst case scenario, if it is affecting a person's life and the pain is unbearable and all the pain injections, you know, uh, are not helping, etc., then when uh, the experienced orthopedic surgeon, etc., in the whole team, they uh, say it is, you need to get surgery at this point, then you do that as a last resort. So likewise, the deen says, Abghadul mabah, the most disliked of that which is permissible. The most disliked of that which is permissible is talaq. So it's permissible, but it's the most disliked. So there are different stages and how to have conflict resolution mentioned in the Quran. And this is one of the stages here mentioned in Surah An-Nisa. Um, first, they should try to solve it amongst themselves. 
and less interference from outside would be helpful. But when they are not able to, then Allah Ta'ala says, فَبَعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا That there should be someone who represents the, the, the man's side, the husband's side, and someone from the wife's side. And they can sit together and try to resolve their issues. The key word here is that إِنْ يُرِيدَ إِصْلَاحًا is a conditional statement. If they both truly, from the bottom of their hearts, do want to reconcile. If they intend islahan, reconciliation. Meaning, the husband says that, yes, a lot of problems have happened, but I want to salvage this marriage. I really want to make it work. And the wife says, yes, I have a lot of complaints and problems as well with you, but I really, really, honestly, sincerely want to make it work. That's the key thing to determine. Are they sincere in wanting to make it work? Because if this is found, this condition, then the ayat says, Allah will grant them the tawfiq to overcome the difficulties and maintain that marriage. The problem is that this tawfiq from Allah is not a guarantee in all conditions, but is contingent upon both of them being sincere and wanting to make it work. And many times, one or two or both even, may not have that sincere intention of reconciliation. They have other ideas in mind, and that is where the problem lies. May Allah Ta'ala protect all of our marriages. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one beautiful incident happened here. Ayah 41, we come to that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he loved not only to recite the Quran, but sometimes to listen to the Quran. There are hadith where he listened to Ubayy ibn Ka'b, he said, recite the Quran. And there's another narration, because he said, Aqra'uhum Ubayy ibn Ka'b, he's the greatest Qari. Another time, Abu Musa Ashari, he said, listen, I would love to listen to your recitation. Because Your voice is like the beautiful voice of Dawood who used to sing the Zabur. And he mentioned about Abdullah ibn, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that, O oh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Man Muhammad, ibn Abd. Whoever wants to recite the Quran just like it was revealed on me, let him recite like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud recites the Quran. And Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa as well was a great Qari. So these are the great Quran of the Sahaba. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked him to recite the Quran and he was reciting. He said, how can I recite to you? Uh, how can I recite to you? unzil. It was revealed on you and you want me to recite. He said, no, I would. Sometimes I want to listen from others. So he was reciting. And then he was reciting these same ayat of Surah An-Nisa that we were reciting. We are sinners reciting. He was the Sahabi reciting to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then he said, when he came to this point, فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا Then while he was looking down, he was saying, he looked up and he saw عِنَاهُ تَذْرِفَانِ The eyes of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam were filled up with tears and the tears were flowing down. And he said, stop, stop, hasbuk. You can stop here. Why, did he, why was his eyes filled with tears at this point? Because this is an ayah where Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is showing the maqam and station of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the day of Judgment. How is it going to be that day when we will bring forth from every ummah one witness, a shaheed? And then we will bring you forth as a witness in, uh, to testify in favor of all of them. What is this going on? On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, despite having absolutely no need to do so, He can put everyone into Jahannam and no one can question Him. He can put everyone into Jannah, no one will question Him. He can just destroy everyone like the animals. Uh, and, and everyone turns into dust and he destroys Jannah and Jahannam he can do whatever he wants no one can question him what he does 
هم يسألون. Everyone else will be questioned. However, Allah Taala has a sunnah, and the sunnah of Allah is He will establish an elaborate system of justice. So there's testifying, witnesses, scales of justice, a lot of things going on. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala doesn't need all of that, but that's His system. He, so there's a lot of things on the day of judgment. Now, one of them is that testification and witness witness stand. Witnesses will be brought to the witness stand, and they'll be cross-examined. So these people of the past nations, uh, when they will see the fire of Jahannam, so they'll be clutching at whatever straw they can to save themselves. They're going to come up with all kinds of crazy things because they see the fire of Jahannam. Can't really blame them. Fire of Jahannam is very terrifying. The fire of Jahannam will be brought forth. That human being will 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 have regret, but the regret will not be of any avail. So he will. They will say, we have never been sent any messenger. No prophet came to us. How, how can he throw us in fire? Jannah? No one came in. Bashirun wala nadir. No bringer of glad tidings. No warner. Nobody came. So then the Ambi Ali Musalam, they will come and they will say, No, no, we came. What are you talking about? We did our job. They will say, No, you never did it. You never gave us any da'wah. You never did tabligh or risala. You never conveyed the message of Allah. Get lost. We never saw you. You, you were just sleeping on the job. You ignored the responsibility of Allah. You never told us. If you did us, why wouldn't we listen to you? So, now the Anbiya and they're going to say, I mean, like our word against your word. Now the thing is, from an Islamic perspective, there's a lot of respect and a place of honor for the witness. Because based on the statement of the witness, is the whole court, the proceedings are based on what he says. Because the ju- the, you'll say, well, the judge... Judge is the one making the judgment, right? He's the one who's making the judgment and everyone is following what he says. Yeah, but the judge is basing his judgment on the witness of the, of the shahid. So then the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam will come and say, we testify that the Anbiya alayhi did their job. This is an honor for whom? Ummah of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the khayrul umam, this ummah. We are forgotten and we say, oh, the best of the ummah, we're thinking, which one is that must be? Allahu Akbar. That's supposed to be you and myself, right? All of us. So, uh, uh, so then anyway, we, we will, we, we, we will testify in front, insha'Allah, that the Anbiya, they did their job. You people are lying. How dare you say the Anbiya didn't do their job? They did tabligh or risala like no one else could ever do. 950 years in the case of Nuh, etc., etc. So we will testify. Now, um, there's one very glaring objection, obvious objection against our, testif- our, our testimony. What is that? They're going to say, Where, how in the world you come in the picture, you were never even around. You were very far away from the scene. So how, how, can, you know, how can you testify and say, the did their job, where were you? Then we will say that, no, we are testifying based on the fact that the Mukhbir al-Sadiq, the truthful narrator, Rasulullah has informed us about what the Anbiya have done, that they have done their job. So then Nabi will be brought forth. And then he will say that this is the revelation of the Wahid that you, O Allah, reveal unto me. So that is what Allah Ta'ala says here. So then the final judgment will be made in the favor of the Anbiya against the disbelievers of all the past nations on the super testimony of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
That day, those were the disbelievers and those who disobeyed the Rasul and the previous messengers, they will wish, they will wish from the bottom of their hearts that we wish that we would have been eaten up by the earth. Because we do not want to face the Jahannam. May Allah protect all of us. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on and says, Look, Alam Kitab. Do you not see those people who have been given the knowledge of the book? This is ayah number fifty one. This is referring to Ka'ab ibn Ashraf and Huyay ibn Akhtab. These were the two Yehudi scholars and leaders of Medina. They went to Makkah and they wanted to make an alliance with the Mushrikeen of uh, the of Makkah and they said, Look, you got to help us and we'll help you. Together we will overcome Muhammad and, and kill all the Muslims. So the Mushrikeen, they made a pact. After the battle of Badr, they made a pact. So these Yehud from Medina traveled all the way to Makkah by the Kaaba and they made a pact with the Mushrikeen. And then what happened is uh, the leaders of the Mushrikeen, Abu Sufyan at that point, he said to this Kaab ibn Ashraf and he said to Huya ibn Akhtab, he said that, you are known for your treachery or the Yehud and you always make promises and break your promises and you lie so we want you to come by the Kaaba and first of all make sajda to our gods Jibt and Tawud they brought two gods, idols and they made them make sajda to it and they said we have 30 of our Mushrikun, 30 of your Yehud together in the, and after making sajda to the idols we swear that we will be partners in destroying Islam and killing Rasulullah So these Yehud were Ahlul Kitab. They believed in Tawheed, believed in Musa salam, believed in the Torah. But because they wanted the support of the Mushrikun at all costs, they sold their soul, they sold their Iman, they sold everything. They made sajda to the idols. And thereafter, Abu Sufyan asked them, look, we are ignorant people, Ummiyun, illiterate, and you are Ahlul Kitab, people of the book, scholars. So we want to ask you, we want to get further assurance from you. Are we untruth or is he untruth? So Kaab ibn Ashraf said, tell me about your religion. They said, it was, it's interesting hadith because uh, it's very, very selective portrayal of what they do. <laughs> he said, we sacrifice the camels, we feed the hajis, we take care of our idols, um, and we do khidmah of the Baytullah, and this is our religion of our forefathers. What does he do? He broke ties of the kinship. He broke their families. He made the young rebel against the elders. And he gave up the ways of our forefathers. It's a very ajeeb presentation. So this is how he presented. So then Kavan Ashraf, don't you know? He, he knows absolutely what's going on. He knows what's Tawheed and Shirk. He doesn't have to be a rabbi and teacher of rabbis to understand that. But he said, so you are absolutely unhaq and he's absolutely unbothered. He meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is what Allah Ta'ala revealed this, exposed them in the Quran. Alam Tara, do you not see min al Kitab? They were granted the knowledge of the book. But what are they doing now? They're making sajda to these idols, these shayateen. And they're telling the disbelievers, they're telling the mushrikun. You are more rightly guided, you are on the true path. Forget about this, people of Medina, they are on Batil. And these are the people whom Allah is cursing them. The definition of curse 
تعريف لعنه is ابعاد عن رحمه الله flung far from the mercy of Allah ومن يلعن الله and whoever Allah curses فلن تجد له نصيرا no one will ever come to his help the lesson for us of course is not only the story remember there's a principle العبره لعموم اللفظ لا بخصوص السبب that the lesson is not limited to the specific condition which led to the revelation but the lesson is timeless that for us as well whatever knowledge of deen we have sometimes for the sake of worldly gain then we end up sacrificing our deen and this was an extreme circumstance but same thing happens like for the sake of gain maybe it's a job interview for a promotion at work in another company it's right at the time when you know you're going to miss your Jummah. I'm just giving a case scenario. This is Ka'b ibn Ashraf. He ended up doing sajda to an idol despite being a Yehudi rabbi knowing that this is contrary to the aqeed of Tawheed taught to him by Musa, Kalimullah. But in our case, maybe a person intentionally misses Jummah because of the job interview or intentionally commits all different types of sins just for the temporary gain. So this is a warning for all of us never to fall into that trap. But rather, we always have to uh, ensure that we do not sacrifice the order of Allah, we sacrifice anything else that may come. The fire of Jahannam, normally I try to avoid scary ayats of Jahannam, that is part of the Quran, but one thing here that's very noteworthy, I don't want to say it's interesting, it's not just interesting, oh, it's interesting fact, trivia, it's not a trivia, it's a haqiqah, but it's, it's another aspect of the miraculous nature of the Quran, that now we know that the pain sensors are where in the body, in the skin, and the pain receptors are in the skin and that takes the signal of the pain to the brain and that's how we sense the pain, feel the pain. Inside the body, there is no pain receptors. Like beautiful, you know, even the brain itself, you know, the, I heard from the physicians that if you take a fork and just scramble the brains, you will not feel any pain. Rather, the pain is right where? In the skin. Subhanallah. So look at this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran regarding the fire of Jahannam, may Allah protect all of us. Allah Ta'ala speaks about the skin. How did He speak about the skin? SubhanAllah, way before we knew about this. Those who deny our signs, they will be entered into the fire of Jahannam. Whenever, as soon as their skins get burned off, because if they're burnt, burnt and burnt and then, then turned to ashes, khalas, turn was over. Where is the khalidina fiha abada going to apply? They will remain therein forever. So Allah Ta'ala says here, بَدَّلَّهُمْ جُلُودًا غَيْرَهَا As soon as your skin gets burned up, the new skin will be put. Thick, big skin. As soon as it's burned. So it will be continually renewing. Just like the blessings of Jannah are continually renewing, which we love to talk more about and we should. But just one occasion in many days or perhaps last occasion. But this is a very important point. بَدَّلَّهُمْ جُلُودًا غَيْرَهَا We will replace it with new skin. لِيَذُوقُ الْعَذَابِ So that they can lee. That the purpose is so that the, they will continue to feel the torment of the fire of Jahannam. Allahumma fadna jami'an. Wa yawar Allah ta'ala, Allahumma a'atiq riqabana wa riqab aba'ina wa mahatina wa uladina wa ahbabina minan nar. Ya mujir, ya mujir, ya mujir. Waladina amun wa amiru salihat. Same, whenever Allah ta'ala speaks about Jahannam, immediately He speaks about Jannah. All the time in the Quran. Those who believe in do righteous deeds, سَنُلْخِلَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِ الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا We will enter them into gardens underneath which rivers flow. They will remain therein forever. لَهُمْ فِيهَا أَزْوَاجٌ مُطَهَرًا They will have beautiful 
pure spouses. After that, Allah Ta'ala says, Allah commands you that you give the amana to the one who the amana belongs to. This is a beautiful ayah because this ayah, where was it revealed? It's a Madani surah, but it was revealed inside the Kaaba. This ayah was revealed inside the Kaaba, it was revealed. Very unique ayah. How so? Is because when Nabi Sallallahu was leaving Makkah al-Mukarramah for Hijrah, uh, so there were different uh, uh, butun, sub-clans within the Qabila of Quraysh that had different responsibilities. Like the Banu Hashim, they were responsible for siqaya, giving the water to the pilgrims. Right? So there was one uh, specific family, Uthman bin Al-Talha, his job was to be the key bearer, open the doors. So twice a week he would open the door of the Kaaba. That's why they had elevated it. You know, whenever you have a threshold, when the inspector comes for the giving the certificate of occupancy, right? It's, there's like all the different ADA, you know, American Disability Act regulations, fulan fulan. Then there's basic safety regulations that when you open a door, it has to be the threshold should be even. If it's not, then it's a trip hazard, isn't it? The ultimate biggest trip hazard possible is beyond a trip hazard. It's impossible to enter. Is a door which is so high, it's beyond your height of your head of most people. Which door? The door of the Kaaba. So it used to be on the ground floor. Where you open it, you go inside. Like the threshold was on the ground. But when they rebuilt the Kaaba, when Rasulullah was 30 years of age, when there was a flood and the Kaaba became destroyed and they rebuilt it, and when Nabi Sallallahu put the Hajar Aswad with his own hands and the whole battle took place about the tribes wanting to fight who's going to put the Hajar Aswad, famous story. So anyway, at that time, they elevated the door. And the reason they did that is to restrict the access. Only the key bearer, he will open the key and he'll put a spe- special ladder. You got to go on the ladder to climb up to the door and go inside the door. So he had the key. Nabi Sallallahu told him, Can you let me pray because he was going for Hijrah. He said, get lost, I'm not going to let you pray. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was very hurt. He was a mushrik, of course, at that time. He said, please, let me pray. He said, and he was very rude to him, very cruel, and very, um, uh, spoke to him harshly. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him, one day this key will be in my hand. You wait. Then we'll see what will happen. And he left. So then what happened? Fast forward, eight years, Fatih Makkah, conquest of Makkah happened. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went to this Usman. He said, Give me the key. One narration says that he ran, tried to hide. He went here and there. Then he ran onto the top of the Kaaba to take refuge. And Ali radiallahu went there and caught him and dragged him and got the key from him. Gave it to Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam opened the door, went inside, saw the idols. He hit the idols and the idols fell down. All the idols were broken. Then Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam performed salah. When he performed salah, when he came out. Umar says that the first time I heard him reciting this ayah, which one? This ayah here, ayah 58, Surah An-Nisa. Inna Allah ya'murukum antu addul amanati ila ahliha. Allah is commanding you to return the amana to whom it belongs. So why was it the first time you heard him? Because it was revealed just now in the Kaaba. So Ali said, Ya Rasulullah, can you grant me this honor? Abbas said, Ya Rasulullah, can you grant me this honor? He said, it's okay, you be on the side. O Uthman bin Talha, come. He said, I'm granting you this key, it will remain with you and your progeny till the end of time. So till today, his family is bearing the key of the Kaaba. So this is the story of the revelation of this ayah. Subhanallah. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِمُوكَ فِي مَا شَدَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا This is a story here about one munafiq. This Munafiq Bishr, he had a dispute with a Yahudi. Now, 
is the the munafiq who acted like a Muslim but was a hidden was a mushrik, and the Yehudi was an open Yehudi. They had an argument about a matter. The Yehudi said, "Let's go to Rasulullah to judge between us because he was actually on the right. He had the right. He was being wronged." And the munafiq said, "How about we go to Kaab uh, ibn Ashraf, one of the Yehudi leaders?" So this was a really strange scenario where the Yehudi wanted to go to Rasulullah and the Munafiq wanted to go to the Yehudi. So they went to Rasulullah somehow he dragged him. Nabi listened to both sides and then he judged in favor of the Yehudi. And then the Munafiq was very, very mad. Uh, that's why he didn't want to go there to begin with. So he said, you know what? I think we, we should, I'm going to appeal this. How can you appeal the decision of Rasulullah when do you appeal? From the district court to the Supreme Court. From the local court to the state court, right? And then you go to the Supreme Court. Now you, you're, the Supreme Justice Court justice decides something and then you say, I want to appeal it to my county court. Can you do that? Billah. Right. So this is basically what he suggested. So, but then he, he knew that, I mean, there was one person his, who was, he thought would be very biased against the Yehudi because he's just a very strong personality. Who was that individual? Umar radiallahu anhu. So he said, hey, let's just go to Umar radiallahu anhu. Maybe, you know, he will uh, not necessarily go into the details of the case and he'll be like, wait, this is a Muslim because the Munafiq by default, by definition is portraying himself to be a Muslim. The Munafiq would come and pray. The Munafiq would pray the whole salah. They would pray in a lazy manner, but they would still pray. Fajr and Isha were, not, were difficult for the munafiqun, meaning they would come, but it was difficult. Because if they wouldn't come, then what would happen? They would not be munafiq, their, their cover would be blown. So they were coming, so he said, let's go. So now you have a Muslim and a Yehudi, apparent Muslim, reality munafiq, going to Umar radiallahu anhu. So then the Yehudi said, look, we went to Rasulullah he already judged in my favor, I don't know why we're coming here for second opinion, but he's dragging me. Because he's not giving me my right back. So this Yehudi is trying to do whatever he can do to get his right. And Umar Adhan said, really? Then he asked the uh, Munafiq, wait a second, this is Umar Adhan's justice. He asked him, can you confirm what this, he said, yeah. What, did you actually go to Rasulullah Yes. Did he judge in his favor? Yes. Then you came to me for uh, ruling? He said, yes. He said, one second, I'll be back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you know where this is going. Then he went inside. Yeah, and he brought what he brought and he struck him in the way he struck him and what happened, happened. Now what happened, the family, he said that the, the judgment is done. Like, How can you ha- go for a second opinion? Allah Akbar. So this is, um, <clears throat> this is what is mentioned here. They can never by your, by your Rabb, he swe- Allah swears, I swear by your Rabb, they can never be a true mu'min. Until they make you the final judge in all matters that in disputes among themselves. Then they cannot find in their hearts what little even grudge or disappointment or doubt or um, hesitation. To implement that which you have decreed and decided. They must submit 100%. We submit whatever our beloved wants. So this is an ayah that talks about that scenario. The stories are continuing on and on. MashaAllah, beautiful, beautiful lessons that we have.
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to remain strong and firm. And just end with one ayah, last one here, that talks about no matter how great the challenges are, we always have to give preference and precedence, priority to the order of Allah. Look at this ayah. This is inna ladina. This is ayah 97. I got to. Allah Ta'ala says, inna ladina tawafahun walaika. This is again all from the tonight's recitation. Inna ladina tawafahun walaika tudalimi anfusihim. Those that the malaika will come to take their souls. Who are these individuals? Walimi and Fusim who are wronging themselves. When they wrong themselves, meaning that they're committing sins. They will say, Why were you disobeying Allah? You coming, the angels are coming to take the soul of the disbelievers or those who are sinners. So they will say, They will say that we are weak and oppressed in the land. Meaning, we didn't have freedom to practice our religion. You know, you just got to go with the flow. The culture was like that. Society was like that. People, you know, it was hard to practice the deen. This is the last ayah for tonight. The angels will tell them, Where is not the earth of Allah wide enough? You should have migrated. Yani literally, you don't have an excuse. You need to leave your country. Take your wife and kids and just move. If you can't practice your deen. It's right there in the Quran. It sounds pretty extreme, but it's right there in the Quran. That's why I'm not speaking from here and there. I'm just translating what Allah said. So their final abode will be the Jahannam. What an evil place to be. Now if somebody says, what about like the Uyghurs? Right now in Ramadan, somebody turns light on, just eating suhoor in their home, they're attacked, right? Communist Republic, China. Nobody in the Muslim world is saying anything because of the economic ties. Now, um, they're, they're, they're forced fed in school and that work. You better not be fasting. Concentration camps in the millions, satellite images showing that BBC has done investigation. All of those reports are there. Are, we should be aware or we are aware. But this is happening. Are you saying that they're going to go to Jahannam too? No, because there's an exemption at the end, which is the, fall, in the next ayah, ayah 98. <laughs> Except for those who are so weak and powerless, they're chained. They have a, a government of, uh, who is completely killing them, putting them in concentration camps, ster- uh, sterilizing forcibly their women, you know, raping them to the extent that they can't have children. All of that zulm is happening. So, if they die, Inquisition, that happened in Spain, it's happening in China now. They have no way out. No way out. No path to escape. Allah, Allah will forgive them. He's watching. But if some of them is strong enough to get out of there, if he tries to make hijrah for the sake of Allah, he may find that Allah will open up the path for him. And if he finds that's great, then he has freedom to practice his deen. But whoever leaves his home, with the intention to make hijrah for Allah and the Rasul, then he's killed by the snipers, by the soldiers. They shoot him as he's running away. His ajar is preserved with Allah. We need to seek protection from Allah, in Allah from you know, our freedoms here ever being taken away. Because we're just relaxed. Bill of Rights, Constitution of the United States of America. Right? Freedom of religion. It's enshrined in the Bill of Rights. So we are just enjoying those blessings. Uh, and if we just take it for granted, 
and we are having this beautiful masjid, ibadah, tahajjud, and tarawih, qiyam layl all these youth events, all this stuff going on. But if Allah Ta'ala changes the condition overnight, then, then we still don't have an excuse. That's what we learned from these ayat. If you have to get up and move, you got to move. You have to make hijrah. That's what Allah is saying. Because the deen of Allah is more important than anything else. More important than our own lives. But Alhamdulillah, Allah has granted us that freedom. Let us not take it for granted. Because Allah Ta'ala talks about freedom being taken away. There are examples of cities that were peaceful. The risk is coming from all sides. But they were ungrateful for the blessings. Then Allah made them taste fear and hunger as a punishment for their actions. So never for a moment should we take this for granted. Allah can change the conditions overnight. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to grant us protection and freedom and help those brothers and sisters who are undergoing oppression throughout the world.